0: Good morning, Liberty.
1: Well, what is up, all of our Liberty loving friends? This is another fantastic episode of Good Morning Liberty. My name is Nate Thurston. Thank you so much for being here. We talk life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning every single day of the week when we want to. So make sure you smash that follow button and leave a rating and review. Today's interview is with Dr. Jeff Myers, who is the president of Summit Ministries. You can go to summit.org, which we'll talk about during the show. And also the host of a weekly podcast called Dr. Jeff Show. Uh, which is really great by the way this conversation was fun it was thoughtful Uh, we talked about stuff that we talk about a lot on the show but we got into a lot more detail in some of the philosophy behind it we talked about the religion of government how government is becoming people's god Uh, we talked about marxism individualism we talked about all kinds of stuff meaning Of course, and how it's important for people to pursue meaning. So I really enjoyed the talk, and I know you guys will as well. So I'm going to go ahead and drop you right into it.
0: Yeah. Well, I'm Jeff Myers. I'm the president of Summit Ministries. We're in Manitou Springs, Colorado, which is a little hippie town right at the foot of Pikes Peak. And even though it's called Ministries, I'm not a minister. I'm not a reverend. My doctorate is in philosophy, and I help young adults develop their a biblical worldview. That applies to everything they're going to be facing when they come to the university. So, I work with about 60 or so thousand students every year in curriculum courses and in in person programs. I bring together major thought leaders. Students bring their lists of all of their big questions about God, about the Bible, about creation, about life. And also about the big political and social issues of the day. And we just, we dialogue with them, grapple with them, help them come to a firm understanding of how they can know the truth.
1: So tell me a little bit about that biblical worldview that you're trying, trying to teach. What are the benefits of that and what does that entail?
0: Well, I, the term worldview I define as a pattern of ideas, of beliefs, of convictions, and habits that help us make sense of God, the world, and our relationship to God and the world. So everybody has a worldview. We have a perspective that we're coming from. What you believe about God will determine what you believe about what is real. What you believe about what is real will determine what you believe about what is right and wrong. What you believe about right and wrong will determine what you believe about the value of life. It'll determine what you believe about what constitutes psychological health, what a good society looks like, what a good political system looks like, what a good legal system looks like, good economic system, and so forth. So we're helping students understand that the Bible speaks to these issues and that through time, great thinkers have, fig- have figured out how to explain a biblical perspective that solves problems that are really, in the real world, very intractable. I can give a lot of examples of that, but ultimately the development of science, the development of art, the way we experience it today, education, even the value of work and economics, all stems from a biblical understanding of the world that says there really is a reality. God is really real. He really does have a plan for our lives. Jesus really did rise from the dead, and this can shape every our understanding of everything else and help us be people
1: it kind of sounds like the when i when i hear that it, i feel like there's a lack of people believing in an objective truth right now and there's more of a subjective reality everything is what you want it to be and i think uh, neither one of us would be really big fans of the direction that we're going overall as a country right now what i've what i've asked a lot of people and it'd be interesting to get your perspective as, as as the country's gone in the direction it's going right now do you think there's any correlation to the rate of people that believe in god that go to church that have that type of community
0: well i i, I think he, uh, let me approach the question this way nate and see if see it, if if it's not if i'm not entering the right question <laughs> just ask it again but i i think you're on to something here the battle of our day is not primarily between Republicans and Democrats and conservatives and liberals, red states, blue states, religion. It's about over whether truth can be known, whether it really exists and whether we can know it. The majority of people today have decided that truth is up to the individual. And even what we call reality isn't something that is out there that we can discover. It's something that we socially construct through our own life experiences. So, I think there's a strong correlation between the growth of that viewpoint and the growth of meaninglessness. Newsweek just had a poll. They they did an article. I think it was yesterday or today. 75% of young adults in the survey said they are struggling to find meaning and purpose. 54% say that they feel anxious, depressed, and unsafe. That's no coincidence. When you look at people who are in faith communities, you don't see that nearly as much. In fact, the percentage of people who are regular attenders of church and are part of a church community, and it's not even necessarily just a Christian church community, those people have far lower rates of anxiety, depression, and suicidal ideation than the general population. There's power in that community, and there's power in, a power in gathering in a community that's about something other than just the people who are in it. It's about something bigger.
1: Do you think it's about everyone having a common belief, everyone having a common goal?
0: I think so. Uh, you know, Augustine It wrote this book called City of God Against the Pagans. Everybody's heard of City of God. But in the book, he very clearly implied that the citizen of the kingdom of God is always going to be the best citizen in the kingdom of man because his allegiance is to something higher than the state. If humans are the highest thing than there is that there is, then the most powerful human is God, that the president is God. What we have in washington dc that is our god so whatever it says we must do if we have an allegiance to an eternal god then we can hold the state accountable so i think it does have it's a common sense of belief but i think it's something more nate i, I think it, it actually applies to everything in the political realm the economic sphere and everything else
1: um one so I like the, first off, you spoke about meaning a second ago. Um, our tagline for this show, by the way, is life, liberty, and the pursuit of meaning. Because we don't hmm. think that the pursuit of happiness is actually a, a good goal, that people need to find meaning in your life. And you'll you'll feel happiness from time to time when you are searching out meaning and you find that meaning in your life. So I love if we could talk a little bit more about this idea that meaning can actually help you through some of these tough times, help with your anxiety, depression, all of that?
0: I'd love to jump into that a little bit more. In fact, I was just yesterday on my podcast, which is called The Dr. Jeff Show, interviewed a guy named Max McClain, who's got a movie coming out this week called The Most Reluctant Convert. and It'll be in theaters around the country. It's the story of C.S. Lewis and his conversion. And at one point in the in the movie, he, he he's well, there are lots of, you could almost quote the entire movie. It would be brilliant. But he says at one point, there's a difference between joy and happiness. That a lot of times when people say they're pursuing happiness, what they really want to pursue is joy. They just don't know how to find it because they have no objective sense of what joy really means. And the other thing he points out in there is he said, all of this time, I was saying that this was unjust or that was unjust. But he said, I, I can't call a line crooked if I have no idea what a straight line is. Where does that idea of a straight line come from? That's, a, that's from C.S. Lewis, and he wrote about that in a book called Surprised by Joy. I think that's a powerful sense of how, how to approach this. If reality is really real, if there really is something out there, and through reason and it being revealed to us, we can discover it then we can have an ultimate source of meaning that helps us find meaning in our own lives, even when our jobs aren't going well, when our relationships aren't going well, and we don't feel that our society is headed in the right direction. Yeah, the uh, pro- I don't know if that gets at your question. But,
1: absolutely. But, uh, what we've talked a lot about is when you when you pursue the feeling of happiness, the problem is that can actually come from a lot of bad things. You know, we, we were talking a little bit about my music career a little bit before this, and I, I pursued happiness with that. And I found uh, back in that time that, well, if I had alcohol or something like that, then I would feel, I would feel happiness for that time. But then of course, when that would wear off, it was completely gone. And what I never really had during that time was a sense of meaning or a sense of purpose that I was working towards. And every time that I would need to feel happy, then the I would do terrible things that, that people my age do that make you feel happy. And I, I'm I'm glad that I kind of grew past that uh, a little bit. But I think that that's an issue that a lot of people my age or people younger in their early 20s or mid-20s are going through right now is that they, they don't have that purpose. And when you don't have that purpose, it's also uh, on the political side, people are... When they don't have purpose, say, in their jobs, they don't have meaning in their jobs, they're trying to find ways to make themselves feel better, to feel happy. And sometimes that comes through using the government to mess up things in the economy.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no question. Nate, well, you were in the rock and roll world. And so you're probably familiar with this quotation from a band from five or six years ago, falling feels like flying till you hit the ground.
1: I have heard that a lot of.
0: Yes, a lot of people pursue. I, I can't remember the name of the band off the top of my head. You're probably going to get a dozen comments with people <laughs> telling me who it was. But the uh, but the point is really really important. That's a deep philosophical observation coming from a band that that sometimes makes observations like that, and it's very truthful. That we we don't it, it, if there's no up or down, there's no sense of gravity. Then you really don't ever know whether you're flying or whether you're falling. And a lot of the things we turn to, whether it's government or alcohol, some people turn to pornography or, uh, material things that to try to, to capture something of the joy that they know they ought to have. And it's very fleeting. When you guys performed at the VMA Awards, you know, a high moment. You get backstage and people are like, "Okay, get your equipment out of here. We got to go on to the next act, right?" Mm-hmm. And it is, and all of a sudden, wow, that was really a great moment. And there's something was captured there that was really cool. But now it's over. So how how what do we do? We try to capture that moment again and again and again.
1: I, I have Lewis. a great uh, example yeah. of that. Um, yeah, uh, where we were. We were filming a commercial in LA and people have a hard time understanding, but while we were filming the commercial, I was the most depressed I've ever been in my entire life because I didn't think that I would ever make it to that point ever again. So it felt like everything was going to be downhill from here. I was completely just pursuing that feeling right there in the moment, nothing bigger whatsoever i'm sorry to cut you off on the cs lewis
0: i was just going to say i I don't remember the exact quote from cs lewis but he said that we have desires in this world that are unfulfilled leads to only one conclusion that we were made for a world other than this and that our relationship with god and with our eternal understanding of ourselves is what can give us meaning day to day nate i just came through a cancer battle um I'm in remission. The reports are looking very good. Great to hear. But when you go through something like that, you don't know whether you will live. You really don't know whether you'll live. You'd wake up and think, I feel fine. But when I look at the scans, I realize I'm in huge trouble. But but the recognition that my life would come to an end has given me more of a sense of meaning in everyday life than I can imagine. Every day's a gift. But I, I had a lot of people I went through chemo with who were no longer living, and I spent a lot of time with them. I tried to talk and encourage them, pray with them. What do you say to somebody who's on what they call salvage chemo, which means they're not going to get better. They're just trying to have their lives prolonged a few, more, a few more days or a few more Their main battle wasn't their cancer. It was their hopelessness because they didn't have a sense that life was about anything other than just the pain they were experiencing and trying. And and that's what I see in young adults today that bothers me so much, that they'll grab onto any kind of identity, gender identity, economic identity, racial identity, whatever it happens to be, placing their identity in something that isn't going to give them ultimate. And then they're surprised when they still have suicidal ideation, when they supposedly have resolved their identity.
1: Um, One thing you mentioned earlier that we definitely need to talk on is the government being God for some people. We've talked about this. We've talked about this a lot on this podcast. And one question is, do you think that people are always religious about something that regardless of whether or not it's uh, not Christianity or whatever it is, that they will always find a way to be religious about something?
0: I think you are right on. The definition of religion in the dictionary is any set of beliefs about the cause, nature, and purpose of the universe. From that standpoint, whenever we even ask questions about anything at all, we're demonstrating some religious viewpoint. At Summit Ministries, we not only talk about the Christian worldview with our students or biblical Christian worldview, some people say, we talk about other worldviews that I think of as counterfeit worldviews. And for Marxism, for example, is a complete worldview. It speculates on theology, philosophy, ethics, biology, psychology, sociology, law, politics, economics, history. It comments on everything. Secularism is another one. Postmodernism, new spirituality, Islam. They're, these worldviews are compelling to people because they do, they do bring up a lot of the right points. Now, the Marxist points out that there are people who are oppressed in the world. Well, yes, there are. We know that to be true. But then it says, because we are the ones who have identified that people are oppressed, then you should therefore embrace our solution. Then those worldviews end up being counterfeit. But I think they are at root religious.
1: It's it's interesting that when we talk about Marxism, I I tried it. we we talk about uh, a lot of things uh, in Marxism that are are seem to be creeping up around us uh, every single day. But um, we try to not. How do I say it right? We try to not look down on those people or judge them too harshly because I do feel like there are a lot of people who hold that ideology that truly think that what they are doing is going to make the world a better place for, for more people. And so that's, that's important to them. And now, unfortunately, throughout history, we've seen that that has not been the case at all but Marxism really does turn in for, uh, turn into a religion. And the problem is they've actually seen it all in practice and seen how terrible it goes. And they still have this faith that somehow the right person's going to control everything and, and make life better for everyone. Isn't it interesting? I find, that, I find that fascinating. I think if you think of it as a worldview battle,
0: it does help explain a lot of things. The Bible also talks about injustice. God loves justice. He loves what is right. And scripture talks about that all throughout its pages. But there's a crucial difference. In scripture, there's an underlying assumption that the immaterial world actually exists, that you can come up with ideas. You can use information. You can have inspiration. All of those things are immaterial, but they change the nature of the material world. So Marxist worldview is completely materialist, not, you know, not in the sense of wanting more stuff, but materialist in the sense of only the material world exists, right? Mm -hmm. There's no God, there's no Jesus, no Holy Spirit, no heaven, no hell, only the material world exists. Well, if that's true, then the world is sort of like a pie and there are only a certain number of pieces that can be cut out of it. If one person has a bigger piece than someone else, that's because they stole it. They have, they're not, they're taking more than their fair share, which is the language that you often hear. Yeah. A Christian biblical worldview says no, God created us to be thoughtful individuals who can change our surroundings. Don't just try to make smaller and smaller, more equal pieces of the pie, make more pies. It's a fundamental difference in the understanding of reality. That means that when Marxism points out inequality, it's always going to lead to the wrong solution. Whereas historically, when they're coming from a Christian perspective, people would point out inequality, and they could lead toward rights.
1: Well, and we do want to we do want to make sure that we have a just a just world, but I mean actual justice. And when it comes to economics, I would say that people get what they have actually earned, that you do have what you have justly earned. And it might be justified. In fact, I would say it is that Elon Musk has a lot more money than other people do because of what he has done to obtain that wealth. Now, we talk all the time about how that wealth is kind of a made up number that obviously you don't have direct direct access to, but uh, we don't have to go into all of that. But one thing that I think people don't understand is that just because one person has more wealth or more things than someone else, it doesn't mean that that's injustice. It might mean that that person earned more. Right. Well, it,
0: the the criticism of the Marxist is that Elon Musk is rich by making other people poor. Mm-hmm. Okay. That because there's only so much to go around. If he has more, he had to have taken it. There's no stolen it. There's no other way to explain it. If you're, if you're coming from a more of a, a biblical perspective and you have an understanding of stewardship and of create, you, you developing ideas and in growing wealth, then you recognize that Elon Musk didn't earn his money by taking it from other people. He earned his money by creating new wealth. That's the beauty of it. And, I, and I, most people don't understand this. I, I was thinking of Pope Francis meeting with President Biden I don't think Pope Francis understands it. Uh, Certainly, people in the country he comes from, Argentina, don't understand it. They have 100% plus inflation, 40% of the people in the country live below the poverty level. What did they do? They tried to create socialist programs. They printed more money to pay for all of those programs. They destroyed their currency, not once, not twice, not three Mm -hmm. times, five times. They destroyed their currency and had to start all over again. They're never learning the lessons that if you create freedom and and recognize freedom and create opportunity for people to exercise their gifts, it's profound the difference it can make. It makes a difference in in race. Half of the small businesses that have been started, according to the Small Business Administration, have been started by minorities. African-American people who start businesses have 12 times more wealth than other people in their community. That economic freedom and political freedom go closely; they go hand in hand, and they solve a lot of a lot of the problems that we're identifying as real problems in our.
1: Uh, sticking on Pope Francis here for a minute: is it typical for someone in his position, being the Pope, it, it, to be this political about things? I just don't remember ever hearing this before, but I have heard unfortunately a very marxist worldview coming from someone who i i just i am i might be completely wrong but i just don't feel like that's what he's supposed to be doing
0: i know you know well i i don't know you know I, i i'm not catholic so i i feel always a little bit shy about addressing this i think it could just be that he grew up in a country where the the government had so squelched economic opportunity that he came to believe that real economic opportunity doesn't exist. So the only thing you can do is help the poor people just make it from day to day. And that's what constitutes righteousness. I'm afraid that president Biden has a similar perspective to that. And it always leads people to do bad things in government society, but it's very political. Uh, Previous popes have addressed a lot of key issues that touch on politics but not for the sake of politics. One thing you can always count on when, when popes write encyclicals, they're in depth, they're extremely scholarly, they're well thought out, but when they get into the media, they tend to get mainstreamed into whatever narrative is out there because Pope Francis doesn't say, he doesn't, he doesn't come out and give speeches about his ideology as much as so whatever he does say ends up getting somehow shoehorned into the narrative of the day. So uh, I, I don't know. I, I don't think the guy's on the right track. Uh, my Catholic friends are probably banging their heads on their desk right now, just <laughs> hearing that. But I just, I cannot see how this is going well. And uh, maybe it's just because I admired the two previous popes a great deal.
1: Yeah. I I just, uh, I and I guess I'm, I don't remember a lot and I wasn't obviously wasn't very political uh, with the, the previous pope. Uh, but uh, it seems it seems slightly dangerous to have uh, someone who is in the position that he is to be pushing a lot of these ideas. And of course, it's to spread around the wealth, which is a confusing ideology to hate the accumulation and the creation of wealth, but also want to spread all of it around to people. Um, How would you spread around something that hasn't been created? I feel like people need to dive a little bit deeper on that. Um, One thing that I've always been really interested in is uh, the idea of individualism and how that relates to Christianity. And how it relates to—I uh, know that this this was different with uh, with Christianity because I can have a personal relationship with God, and it—and previously, uh, before that, you had to go through—you had to go through someone else. You weren't able to do that. There were gatekeepers for that, and I really think that Christianity spawned this idea of individualism, which is what I hope people would start moving towards. But it seems like we're moving towards the collective.
0: Yeah. I I think specifically the Reformation led to that understanding that my reading of Scripture, that God will reveal truth to me personally as as I read Scripture, that my salvation is a relationship between God and myself, that it doesn't necessarily go through the church. So the Reformation was a huge part of that. But you know, Christianity is both an I and a we. I have my relationship with God. I have a soul. I am individually accountable to God for my actions, but it's also a we. The apostle Paul talks a lot about the idea of the body of Christ. You know, you want a body where all of the parts are different. That's that's what makes a good body. If you have four arms and no legs, that's not a good body, right? If you have mm-hmm. three mouths and no nose, you're you're gonna be you're gonna be in trouble. So the diversity of the body is what helps to create its strength because all, those parts all gather their meaning from the whole. So I do think the individual aspect of it's really important. Um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that Christianity has ever been collectivist, but I definitely, definitely scripture talks about that, that metaphor of the body. It is a body. The, it's the body of believers. And that when we're together, each doing our, our the part that we're, designed to play and we're doing it in concert with everybody else
1: now from what i read on a meme on facebook jesus was a socialist isn't that right (laughs) yeah
0: yeah i hear that all the time actually i wrote a book (laughs) called unquestioned answers challenging some of the memes that are popular in the church And one of the unquestioned answers that I challenged was the idea that Jesus is a social justice warrior. And again, I mean, we've talked long enough in this conversation where you know that I'm always going back to the definitions of terms, but I was, my career was in academics. I was a professor for 14 years. And then as part of that, you, you have to study things like social justice. Well, social justice in the academic world has a very clear meaning. It means the redistribution of wealth and other opportunities it assumes that there is only so much to go around and that new wealth and new opportunities cannot be created there there's a finite amount and so when people say i'm a social justice warrior i have a hard time hearing what they're saying versus <laughs> what i know what so i know so i know what social justice means i was a professor for 14 years i studied philosophy i know that stuff i think what a lot of people mean is that Jesus was kind to, to the poor and to women. And he was critical of those who were hypocrites, all of which is true. But does that mean that Jesus didn't come as our savior? Instead, he came to bring about an economic revolution. No, that's a complete distortion of scripture. I'm really uncomfortable when somebody tells me that Jesus was social, was a social justice warrior or that I'm a social justice warrior or whatever, I just challenge them to try to explain what they mean by that, to try to justify it biblically. Well, the the uh, point would be yeah.
1: the point would be with uh, Jesus saying to be kind to the poor, to help the poor, would be that y- you should feel compelled to help people, uh, and that not that it should be done through force. I don't see any of that, uh, any of that argument being made that it should be done through force, because then that's not really that's not really following in the steps of jesus is it when you're forcing other people to help other people does that count you're forcing people to be moral right. when they don't yeah. want to be are they actually being moral or are they just being forced to be moral and yeah. through an yeah. immoral act no less through through taking yeah. money from people against their will confiscation yeah yeah yeah
0: i think it's it's it you're you that's you're making a great point it's very it's very pharisaical the a lot of people who are socialists and want to reconcile it with Christianity, point back to Acts chapter two, after Jesus ascended into heaven, and the church is relatively new. And scripture says that they were selling their possessions and giving to anyone who had need, and they held everything in common. I had a guy say to me once, see, co- oh, common, communism. <laughs> and I said, okay, what did they do? They sold things. So, they actually had ownership. And they actually chose to sell those things to give to the poor. I said, if you are a socialist and you have not yet redistributed everything you have to other people, you're a hypocrite. I said that in a workshop this summer, <laughs> and then we had a Q and A session. And student, very first question, she said, "Okay, you called me out today because I'm a Christian and i w- socialist," and she said, "And now." As we've gone through the last few hours since your talk, I am completely changing my mind. She said, because I realized that I wanted other people to give, and that I would that would constitute righteousness on my part. And she said, so I'm having to rethink everything that I believe about social.
1: What about uh, What about it being easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle uh, than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God? I mean, doesn't that mean that rich people are evil? you know
0: (laughs) right yeah right yeah well uh yeah rich people are evil and (laughs) so are all of the other people the idea that being poor somehow cleanses you of your unrighteousness is something that comes from a liberation theology mindset but it's a complete distortion i mean scripture is pretty clear that all have fallen short of god's glory
1: i think what what people miss uh also is in that time, how would you have accumulated all of those riches? Would it have been through a free market system uh, where everyone was exchanging value for value and making voluntary transactions all the time? Or would it be more likely that more rich people had uh, had been plundering people uh, through force at that time? I think that that's also a good distinction to make as well. Yeah.
0: And also people were getting rich through graft what today we would call crony capitalism where they're they're using the power and the authority of the government to enrich themselves which was a very very common thing and it's all it's very very likely because there weren't as many wealthy people in the area of israel that jesus was from who would have been set set apart as extremely wealthy except for a group of people called the sadducees who were sort of religious butt kissers <laughs> who used the power of the government to enrich themselves. And everybody knew it.
1: Are you saying that we don't have a voluntary free market system right now? I mean, that uh, <laughs> this is the first I'm hearing of this. I thought that this was all just capitalist <laughs> greed that was happening right now. The, the government's just trying to fix everything, of course. Um, you know, with uh, staying on people being compassionate and and wanting to help and uh one thing i wanted to ask about was religious freedoms right now over the last year uh we've seen some crazy things go on in the country we've seen the, a, a really crazy time we've seen churches shut down we see people who have objections to the vaccines that are maybe losing their jobs uh are we on a, a really bad downward trajectory right now for religious rights I
0: hope not, Nate, but I'm afraid that this is a much more intense battle than, than I would like to see. The, from a legal perspective, religious liberty is winning more than it's losing. In other words, if you look back at the Earl Warren court and the number of religious liberty cases that prevailed way back in the day in the 60s and 70s, it was about 40% of the cases that prevailed. In the Roberts Court, after, named after Chief Justice John Roberts, about 80%, a little more than 80% of the religious liberty cases have prevailed. So you have that on the one hand, where you have a court that's friendly to religious liberty. And yet on the other hand, you have an, you have an administration, quite frankly, that doesn't consider religious liberty to be anything other than the right to worship they don't they don't make the connection to the idea that no that what the constitution actually says is that you have the right to practice mm-hmm. your religious beliefs so and, and the attack on the very very small number of people who want to claim a religious exemption to the vaccine is just a good demonstration of this this impulse we have no evidence that religious people spread covid more than anybody else we have no evidence that, that people who are unvaccinated are sp- spreading the delta variant any more than anybody else. It's about even with vaccinated people. And, and we have no evidence that people this small number of people who claim a religious exemption are somehow murdering people as President Biden claims. So what's really going on? If the science is not behind these claims, I think what's going on is a worldview battle that says that. Religious people need to shut up and sit down because otherwise they're going to mess up our opportunity to make a secular government that will move us more.
1: It really does seem like what we've seen over the last couple of years now almost has been more of an attempt to gain more control over people. And I'm not not saying that the you know, vaccines are dangerous or people shouldn't get that or any anything like that. What's really interesting when it comes to the science, if you are vaccinated, you have a very, very low chance of, of dying. But we're still extremely worried about people who are unvaccinated, who are making a personal choice to not be vaccinated, to save people who are vaccinated, even though they have an extremely low chance of dying if they were to get anything lower than chances they would have for many other things that we've all accepted. And I I think that there's been so many things like this where it just seems more like the government's attempting to control, reshape the country, uh, call it whatever you want to call it. But I think that this has been a really good vehicle for government growth over the last couple of years.
0: Yeah, well, the way it's supposed to work is that the government is according to the Religious Freedom Restoration Act, which, by the way, was passed through the House by Chuck Schumer and through the Senate by Ted Kennedy almost unanimously and signed by President Bill Clinton back in 1993. The government, if it must restrict freedom, it must restrict it in the least restrictive means available. So, for example, forcing corporations to have a vaccine mandate where they fire people if they don't get the vaccination is not the least restrictive means. A lot of companies, I know Google's moving back in a different direction, Southwest Airlines, Delta, other companies are moving back in a different direction. And they're saying, if you don't want to have the COVID vaccine, that's fine. We're just going to ask that you take a COVID test every week. And if you COVID positive, then you're going to have to stay home from work. I don't see that as unreasonable. That's certainly less intrusive. And it respects people's objections, whether they're medical or religious, to the vaccine. It has the ultimate goal of keeping people safe and keeping the economy and everything humming along. So the, it'll, it'll be interesting to see how the court handles all of this. But right now it's still theoretical, isn't it Nate? I, I don't we don't have any regulations from OSHA. We don't have any actual directives.
1: No, we, we don't just have the uh, White uh, House <clears throat> only We uh, have
0: White House sending out signals to corporations. And every corporation knows that because there are so many federal laws, there's probably something they violated. So they're always living a little bit in fear of the government. Okay. We don't want to, we don't want to make these people angry because they could probably come after us for some random thing. I remember an article I read a couple of years ago that said on the average day, the average person commits three federal felonies, Mm -hmm. Not, not knowingly, just because there are so many laws. That if the government decides to come after you they will find a way to do it every corporate executive knows this and so they just say let's just do what the government says so we can keep our heads down and stay out of trouble
1: the one thing that they did sign was the mandate for federal employees and contractors and unfortunately everyone is so intertwined with the government right now uh, that almost anyone could be considered a federal contractor if you've done any business with the federal government when when they're confiscating all of the money and then handing it back out, then it's easy to consider a lot of people federal contractors. So, uh, But no, they have not actually done the mandate for the corporations yet. I don't know if they ever actually planned on doing it. I think it might have been a bluff to get corporations to prepare for it or to have it as an excuse uh, but I I think they know it would get struck down pretty easily in, in the courts. I, I'm, that's kind of my assumption right now. So uh, as we're kind I of I think right- so, too.
0: I, I was just going to say, I was going to say on that, but the courts move slow. Mm. They're sort of like the sloths working at the driver's license <laughs> agency in the movie Zootopia. Yeah. So the, the president realizes he can do a lot of things and advance his agenda. All, all presidents recognize and wait for the courts to catch up if it gets struck down. Well, at least, you know, we had three or four years that it took them to get around to it, to implement our, And, and that's where I think the, that's where the American people have to realize, oh, this is government of the people, by the people and for the people. And when I see people pushing back against these kind of orders that, that will probably be ultimately ruled as illegal, not violence. (laughs) Violence is never an appropriate response. We're talking about civil disobedience, not uncivil disobedience Mm -hmm. here. And I Uh, think more and more people are in favor of it.
1: uh, I I do, too. We've seen that we're we're finally. And of course, there's been protests around the country. We've been asking for the last little bit since a lot of the vaccine mandates came in. Why aren't we seeing protests in the U.S. like we see all around the world uh, for the vaccine mandates? This is supposed to be the land of the free, and uh, have, do we really not care about that anymore? And Now we're starting to see some more in places like New York, and uh, I, I know that there's been some other ones around the country, and I want them all to remain very civil and nonviolent, and uh, no one get hurt, but everyone make their point and show the elected representatives what people do actually care about, that they are actually going to get held accountable. I was going to ask you before we finished up, what, what can we, what can we do to right the ship right now? Uh, What is it that we can do? What do you, what do you think?
0: I think number one, and and this is coming from an academic, so you're not surprised to hear this (laughs) is to be able to be informed Informed does not mean that you've read five posts on social media. Informed means you want to go to good sources of information that are solid and reliable and inform yourself. I read books. I tell my students, if you want to be a leader, you've got to be a reader. You want to read different viewpoints and then force yourself to compare those viewpoints. You've got to be informed. Second thing is to recognize about a lot of the manipulation that we see in our culture is is artificial. For instance, we recently did a poll and asked people, you know, do you believe that our rights come from our creator and not from our government? 75% of Americans said yes, their rights come from our creator. So, when other people aren't speaking up and you're thinking no one cares or no one believes, they probably do, they're probably just terrified. Maybe that's your opportunity to be the one to say what really needs to be said. I think the third thing is just to be become really good at asking questions. So a lot of times people get into positions of power and they're never really challenged. The questions are softballs. Uh, you can go to open forums. This So in the next few months, all of the people who are running for the state legislature and running for Congress will be holding open forums. And these open forums are open to the public. When I was a little kid, we lived in Kansas. My dad would take me down to meet Bob Dole every six months. He would come to our town, and I was a kid, but I could ask any question I wanted to. Bob Dole thought it was cute. Now I wasn't—I um, wasn't asking the kind of questions that I would ask of a senator now, or senators here <laughs> in Colorado. But, but, but that is there. Those opportunities are there. Those, those people are not God. They are representatives on your behalf don't ever forget that i know some christians will say to me oh man well you're supposed to be obedient to the government romans 13 the apostle Paul says, yes but in this country this is government of the people by the people and for the people to not be an involved citizen is to not obey god
1: when we don't do those things when we don't get involved and we don't speak up because we think that there's no point in it we think that it's not going to do any good that in a sense, creates the reality that we're afraid of happening. We talked to people, uh, I just said this in a podcast the other day, if we all give up and we say that there's nothing that's going to that is ensuring that 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 is what will happen. That's ensuring the outcome. That's the way that you know for sure we'll go down the road that you don't want to go down is if all of us just give up and say that nothing is going to change and there's nothing we can do about it. So speaking up, I think that that is uh, really good advice for sure. Um is where can people go to get involved or see what it is that you're doing?
0: Well I'm I'm looking for any young adult ages 16 to 25 to come to summit.org sign up for one of our 2 week programs here in Colorado or the one we have in, in Lookout Mountain Georgia those those two programs they're the same thing just two different locations in the country and they will if you're wondering what is my purpose in life i need some clarity here or you're wondering how does what i believe relate to everything else that is happening in the culture you're the kind of student we want you're the kind of young leader we want to have join us for a couple of weeks and change the trajectory of your life. So just go to summit.org to get information about the programs we have scheduled for this upcoming.
1: All right, Dr. Jeff Myers, thank you so much for your time today. I really enjoyed the conversation. Thanks, Nate. I really enjoyed it too. Have a great weekend.